We're in with our new equipment in the Hypecast office. How do we feel with it? And new couch. And, and new wall. Everything's new. And <laughs> we've got a camera filming us too. So we've got all the elements. And lucky, to get used to. and lucky Sammy's the first, the guinea pig. Hey. <laughs> Sammy. Hey. Finally. Yeah, we're here. Welcome to the Hivecast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's really yeah. exciting. Now, obviously, Sel and I have wanted you to be on this podcast for a long time, mm-hmm. but we wanted all these elements to stack up. I mean, we've yeah. got the cool artwork behind us, which obviously once people hear about what you're into, they'll sort of understand the connection. And then obviously you've got some exciting new news about a new business that you're starting and you've also got such a good story. So um, it's something that I've been looking forward to for such a long time. So I'm stoked that you're here. And I haven't heard the story, so yeah. I'm stoked to listen yeah. to it. Yeah, Milno's snippets. You probably know a lot of it actually, but yeah, a lot of it's probably going to be new to you. So. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, I guess the background is like that. Um, I've known Sammy for... I don't even know, probably f- over 15 years, I reckon. Yeah, it's been about that. So yeah. I used to work at a sandwich bar in Stocklands, Burley, and Sammy yeah. used to work at the Boost Juice there. And so obviously lunch breaks, I'd go up to get a Boost or she'd yeah. come down and get a sandwich or whatever. And then we'd be in the same circles. And then obviously she started dating Jesse years later and then started to come into the gym. And then obviously we connected again and stuff like that. But it's Did she meet Jesse through you? No, no. no. Yes. So Mill and I knew each other first, and then you and Jesse met later on, I think, yeah. right at training, and then cool. After that, then Jesse and I met, and then we kind of kind of came back full circle. Yeah, and awesome. Came back to the gym and started training there as well. And cool. then here we are. Yeah, on, on the hypecast couch. <laughs> <laughs> Fifteen years is a long time, man. Mm. So how old would you have been, Sammy, when you first? Um, so it would have been just when I moved to the Gold Coast. Yep. So I'd, um, it was just after I turned 18. Yep. Um, I moved here. So, yeah, and I'm 30 now. So, yeah, just under 15 mm. would yeah. have been about 12, 12 years ago. Yeah, cool. Really yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the reasons why I was just so excited to get you onto the Hypecast is because I think that your story will really resonate with a ton of the listeners and a lot of our friends that are listening to the Hypecast as well will probably, you know, find it really interesting and, and yeah. enjoy the episode and hear about your story because obviously when people think about Sammy and for those who don't know Sammy, Sammy is an uber talented artist. She is the owner of Sammy Lock Tattoo um, and now Fair Fortune Tattoo, which we'll um, talk a lot about, which is super exciting news. But she's a tattoo artist. Um, she's been doing it for a long time and people see her artwork and they think, oh, wow, she's super talented and things like that. But it, it starts somewhere, right? People's skills and their story start somewhere. And Sammy's story is super inspirational and it's something that Sel and I have talked about and we – super respect you for your story and I'm really excited that we're sharing your story today and it goes from obviously if you don't mind me saying you know being part of a domestic sort of you know a violent relationship yeah um almost like rising like the phoenix out of a bad relationship and having the strength and courage to do that which I think is a really great story for us to tell and then obviously going into doing your tattoo apprenticeship and how hard you worked and obviously we knew you throughout that whole period and knowing that, you know, not getting paid and, you know, having a second job and going through your tattoo apprenticeship all the way to becoming a qualified tattoo artist and now opening your own business and being so successful and now everyone sees you as this incredible artist. But 
I wanted to take this opportunity to go right back. I gave a snippet just then, but let's go right back and hear about your story from the start. Oh, where do I even start? Um, so I was born and raised in a small country town, which didn't have a lot of creative opportunity, I suppose is the best way to put it, um, which was really hard because I was naturally creative from a pretty young age. My mum and dad were both very creative. My mum has and did do pretty much every craft you could imagine. She dabbled in it at some point. Um, my dad also very creative and talented with you know metal and he could make anything if he needed one thing to fit another and it didn't fit he'd make a something to meet them in the middle like a bracket or something to make it work so I grew up watching that from both of them and I naturally followed that same sort of direction but I guess it was like early on when you know before social media was a huge thing and people could you know freelance and be creatives that way it didn't really seem like you could make your own career with it so I think I started um, sort of getting into that more creative aspect and towards tattooing at a good time where social media was taking off and you could you know really um, amplify your career that way Mm. so it was really good timing Um, so then not having a lot of creative opportunity back in the hometown Um, I got to 18 and sort of felt quite stuck. And it was interesting at that point, I didn't realise what it was that I was actually missing until I moved um, up to the Gold Coast. And I actually moved here to pursue a um, makeup course, Mm -hmm. which kind of, you know, I was fresh 18. I was pretty much financially illiterate, didn't understand how to budget and all that sort of stuff. So moved up here um, by myself, 12 hours from my hometown and was like, shit actually can't afford to do this course but stayed here anyway and just you know was working just regular jobs or whatever for a while um ended up doing a makeup course I think like eight years after moving here to do it um no less than that maybe six years and um yeah so that was a really good creative outlet I was doing a lot of makeup before that doing a lot of photo shoots and things to to satisfy that creative side um, which was really fun doing lots of like we'd make props and we'd come up with all these concepts and things for um, photo shoots had a couple of good friends in Brisbane we'd work with really regularly sort of like every Sunday I'd drive up to Brisbane we'd do photos until like 12 o'clock that night and then I'd head back home so yeah that that fed that creative outlet for me for a long time. Super cool photos, yeah. man. Yeah, they're super kind of all cool. archived now, but yeah. I've yeah. still got them. I've, I've encouraged you to bring them back. They're super cool. Yeah. What, was, what were the photos of mainly? Um, like? So it was just, I don't know, kind of, I guess the best way to describe it is quite like avant-garde. Yep. Just weird. It's like pouring goo into her mouth yeah, and like yeah. just like, like weird things like yeah. smoking I'll, I'll a pull cigar. Up, I'll show you yeah. some of them later. They're, yeah, they're cool. pretty cool. Um, I had – there was two photographers who I'd work with on, on those Sundays yep. um, and they were really, really talented guys. So we'd I'd kind of have all these crazy like harebrained ideas through the week because I was just sitting behind a desk. I had an admin job at the time. It was driving me crazy. So I'd be sitting there just doing – mind numbing like data entry while my mind's churning over all these ideas of cool shit that I wanted to do in photos and stuff so it was a really good way for me to keep sane on the weekends while I was just killing my brain during the week (laughs) having a job that didn't do much for me creatively um yeah so that was that was really cool really good experience I think doing makeup also really helped me develop 
my art style as well. Yep. Like doing through the makeup course, we'd have to do like face charts and the makeup side of things helped me, I think, learn, you know, what faces look like, how they're structured, how where shade sits and stuff like that, which helped me learn to draw faces as well, which is, I think, was a nice little gateway to helping me develop my, my drawing ability. And then what was the catalyst to get you into actual tattooing? So uh, that admin job that I had at the time, um, it was good. It was a stable job. It was, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five. I knew it was coming in every week. So it was a solid job, but it wasn't enough because it was just killing my soul. So it was probably a good thing when that company decided to start downsizing because if they hadn't, I probably would have just stayed there. Mm because it was stable, it was easy, and there was no risk. So um, it was kind of shook everything up a bit when they're like, okay, we're sort of cutting down the company quite drastically. I was admin, so I was one of the first to go. Um, So after I found that out, I was like, I'm going to go treat myself to a tattoo. I went and got tattooed by one of my friends. And I just recently, probably a month or so before that happened, um, I'd started drawing a bit more. So I actually had someone say to me, like, what are you good at? Like, what can you do? And I couldn't answer. And I felt really shit that I couldn't jump back with an answer and be like, oh, here's something that I'm good at. Here's a skill that I have. And it kind of left me feeling a bit weird. And I was like, it sort of pushed me to be like, okay, I want to I wanna draw again. Yeah. So I started like angry drawing, being like, I can be good at things. <laughs> um, so I did a drawing, um, I think it was like a lead drawing of um, a model. And then from that, one of uh, my mates at the time messaged me and was like, oh, hey, you should draw me. And I remember he and his mates were all um, really good at photography. So I'd seen a couple of really cool photos of him, one in particular that was like a really nice, crisp, close-up photo of him. So I was like, oh, you know, give it a go. So I I drew that. And from that um, portrait that I did... Um, I had another inquiry from uh, one of my girlfriends I did the makeup course with. Her partner um, was doing a tattoo apprenticeship and he messaged me and was like, do you want to do a trade? So do an art trade. He offered to do um, a painting for me and I would do a portrait for him. So I ended up doing a portrait of um, Henry Rollins, mm-hmm. which was a really fun one. Yep. And after that, it kind of just kept going I had another friend of mine who's a tattooer back from my hometown um, said the same thing like we'll do an art trade so I just sort of kept drawing and so that was that month before so right before I lost that job I was just the ball was rolling with my drawing again because I sort of neglected it for a long time Um, and then yeah when I went to get tattooed by my mate he's like oh you know like I told him about how I'd lost my job and he was like well I've I see you've been drawing, like, why don't you try and get a tattoo apprenticeship? And he said it like it was just like, obviously, that's what I should do. But for me, it was, it hadn't clicked that that was a possibility Mm. because it felt so, like, too good to be true, I guess. It was like, oh, I can't do that. Like, that's that's a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. You can't make a livable career out of it, even though obviously you could because he was there doing it while he was saying that to me. So, um. Yeah, I sort of went home thinking like, shit, maybe I could actually do this. So I started, so I was still um, just lost that job. So I hadn't yet found another one because I was originally like, okay, I've got a makeup diploma. I need to use that and was applying for makeup jobs and things. 
and I was still freelancing doing weddings and stuff like that so I could survive but it wasn't like a solid um you know anything guaranteed um so I started being you know a bit more serious about trying to get a portfolio together and different types of art and things like that and um, in the meantime, I did a drawing of a girl who's from, she was um, from Canada, but her husband's from Brisbane. And they were really heavy in the tattoo scene. So I did this portrait of her and she shared it and was like, um, you know, kind of gave a call out to Gold Coast, Brisbane and was like, someone give this girl an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And someone that she knew commented on it and was like, oh, tell, we're actually looking for someone, tell her to call us. Um, so I did, I went in and met with the guy a week later and he was like, yep, I'll, I'll give you a shot. And yeah, that's where I did three years of my apprenticeship. Crazy. So that's yeah, cool. It kind Crazy. of all just like, yeah. it was really, I don't like to say the word lucky. I try to be really mindful of using that because yeah. it wasn't luck because I still worked my ass off to get it, but mm-hmm. very fortunate with the timing and, and kind of the series of events that unfolded that sort of led me down your network and all the things started to link up and gave you that opportunity all the cogs sort of work together at the right time to make it happen so which is really cool and now like uh, this is something that you know sel and i have spoken about before is like your tattoo apprenticeship wasn't an easy ride i mean no it never is three years not paid um so i didn't have to go the whole three years unpaid fortunately um some people do some people go more than that Mm -hmm. um I was fortunate enough to get to start. So basically you don't start making money until you're tattooing. And then it's got to be tattooing to a point where clients are willing to pay for it too. Because when you start out, it's not, it's not top quality, you know, like (laughs) your clients aren't going to pay top dollar for that. So um, I think I probably was given the green light to tattoo maybe six months in or so, which is pretty good. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to get to do it fairly early on some people aren't even allowed to pick up a machine for like four years which i just don't know that would be so tough were you were you making like a livable wage after that six months Mm, from tattooing alone nah maybe like a hundred bucks a week yeah Yeah. so this this is this is what i'm talking about is it's like it took you it took you six months to get paid anything to begin with and then you were on a hundred dollars a week and um you were you had a second job Second and third job. And third job. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. So um, at the tattoo shop, I was working um, Tuesday through to Saturday. Yep. So it would be 9 a.m. until whenever the last person left. So usually about, f- oh, it could be, it could vary a lot, but either, f- you know, around 5 p.m., sometimes 10, um, just depending who was there still. So I was doing those days and then I was popping right next door to Rattlesnake where I was bartending Friday and Saturday night. What was Rattlesnake called back then? It, w- it was still Rattlesnake it then. Was yeah, still it was then? after it had swapped over from Neverland. Ah, yeah. very cool. So <laughs> that was, yeah, every Friday, Saturday night yep. for maybe two years, I think. Um, and then I also went back to Boost Juice at Stockland. Yeah. Um, Sundays, Mondays. Crazy. So I was doing those yeah. full days. So that was, yeah, probably doing those seven days for a year, maybe it just over. Yeah. And then I dropped back to continue to do Rattlesnake on the weekends mm. for another, yeah, and for two years. I obviously knew Sammy at this stage and you were going out with Jessie at this stage. Yeah. And I could just see that she was just cooked, just cooked. Oh, man. Like so tough. You can't work <laughs> 18 yeah. hours a day more 
Well, that's that's what the, they were, yeah, the yeah. Fridays. So my, you know, through the week would be nine till five, let's say. But then every single Friday was 9 a.m. Friday all the way through. I'd just stay there because the um, shop was yeah. literally next door to Rattlesnake. So I'd just finish work and I'd stay. I'd have maybe an hour downtime in between. I'd lock up the tattoo shop. I'd go straight next door and I'd bartend there until 3 or 4 a.m. Drive home, sleep for a few hours, get back up and be back at the shop Mm. by 9 again the next day. And then again, not get home until 3 or 4. I love this part. This is your story. This is your story now. So when people say, you know, in the future, you've got your tattoo studio open and and you're doing murals like the one you did at the front of Hype for Us and you're doing these incredible pieces of art that we've got hanging on our walls, that's your story. It's just like, oh, I didn't just uh, wake up and I was good at doing this. It's like this was my hustle. This was my grind. Like I worked 18 hours a day for three years minimum, then – you became qualified as a tattoo artist and then your journey starts yeah, again. It's just like And like it it was it was hard. It was so tough. And I think about it now and I'm like, I couldn't I couldn't go back and do mm. that. Of course I could. If right. I had to, I could, because at that point I, I had the mental capacity to do it because there was no other option. Yeah. So I had to do it. I didn't want to spend six months in an apprenticeship not getting paid only to then give up and waste that six months. Yeah. Like, fuck that. Just mm. It had to just keep going. So I mean, as hard as it was, it makes me appreciate a lot more now. Definitely. And also, I don't think anyone would do a tattoo apprenticeship going, I'm going to do this for, call it three years, and then I'm going to be a millionaire. Yeah. I don't think anyone's doing it just going for for money purposes. Yeah. Clearly, it has to be a lot of love for, yeah. for the craft and the art that you're doing. And if not, it wouldn't be sustainable. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why they're they're so tough as well because the tattoo industry is a very protected industry. Anyone that's in it is very protective over the craft and the art because there's a lot to learn and you have to put your heart and soul into it for it to pay off for you. So I think it's they keep it difficult to weed out the wannabes because it's a very desirable career. It's mm-hmm. It's got a bit of a like a rock star status about it, which mm-hmm. kind of sucks, but it's the way it is. So there's a lot of, I think, people that are like, yeah, this will be sick, I'll – be a tattooer and it'll be rad or whatever. So it's got to be hard. So you're only going to get through it if you really, really want it. And there are a lot of people who get halfway and, and, and don't make it, which, you know, it's, if they want it bad enough, you, you got to make the sacrifices. Mm. So, Mm. yeah. And obviously like throughout your, you know, apprenticeship and, and prior to your apprenticeship, I brought up the fact that you, you know, have been part of some difficult relationships, um, and I don't know how far you're willing to go into talking about that, um, but um, I know that a lot of people would probably appreciate yeah. you talking about so it. So that, that's probably one of the reasons I think it felt so um, unattainable for me to be a tattooer as well was because my ex-partner was a tattooer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was not a functional relationship. It was just toxic on both sides. Like we just didn't work well together at all. So I always felt um, it was it was sort of his thing. I couldn't intrude on that. And even though I was, I loved it and I loved the idea of it and stuff, I just felt like it wasn't my territory and I had no right to sort of go towards that. And then after we split up, it was quite a while, maybe a year or so after that my mate actually said to me, oh, you should try for an mm-hmm. apprenticeship. And I think it had been just long enough. And then when he said that to me, I was like, it kind of flicked a switch in my head where I was like, oh, it's not 
only his. He's not the only one that can access this industry. Like I'm allowed to to go for it as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think I think going through that bad relationship again is like same as as the hard work you have to put in early on. Like it, it you have to go through that shit storm to appreciate what's the good side of it. You know, it taught me a lot of lessons, mm-hmm. and I think that's why like Jesse and I have such a solid relationship because I learned so much. Mm-hmm. From, from the shit one to be like, oh, okay, got to appreciate what's good. And I think, again, it just comes down to it's being it's part of your journey. You're a really strong human now and it all comes from obviously dealing with a lot of hardships and difficult situations and finding your way out of them. A lot yeah. of people can't find their way out of a lot of hard situations um, or they don't have the support or, you know, they just don't have that I guess we call it luck, but it's not really luck. It's it's working your way out of it and finding the support th- from others. Like, what was it that gave you sort of the, I guess, confidence or motivation or encouragement to to change your mindset, get yourself out of that situation, and become a stronger human? So I I remember a very distinct moment. I know we've talked about this a bit, Mill. Where I was actually watching um, a documentary at the time called What the Bleep. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've seen it. I it's a really so. interesting watch. Yeah. So it's it talks a lot about, um, it's sort of like quantum mechanics and quantum physics and things like that, but it also talks about neural pathways. And I remember there was just so much anxiety and so much anger and just bad habits in this relationship that I had. And I think it was on, it was on both sides. You know, we were, we were really bad for each other. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just him. It was a combination of the two. Um, where it was just, yeah, lots of habits and lots of recurring things, um, you know, just repeating themselves. And I was watching this documentary and talking about pathways and things, saying habits, if you build a habit, it's just going to ingrain that more and more. So if you react a certain way to something, your body is going to get used to that reaction. It's literally like a chemical being released in the brain where it's just going to, the next time that thing happens, you're going to react even more because it's just burrowing that that path deeper. So I remember thinking I had really bad anxiety about it at the time and I thought it's, it's just chemicals. It's in my brain. It's just chemicals. I need to rewrite this pathway and make better decisions and stop falling back into that same trap and that same habit and having those arguments and all that horrible shit. And from there, it was it it felt like flicking a switch, yeah. and I was like, I wow, okay, I can actually stop this from happening and just make decisions that are going to change that pathway, mm-hmm. and and that's what it took. And from there, it just we sort of just cut everything off, went cold turkey, and mm-hmm. went our separate ways. So that's incredible. Yeah, I think something is so interesting, and I think about it a lot is out in the world in media. Um, people talk about sort of certain topics a lot. This is one of them, sort of neural pathways and, and, and you know, plasticity and all this sort of stuff. A lot of people talk about it, but it's not until one person that maybe you relate to or you just like their style of the, the way they deliver, yeah. the way they talk, and then it clicks so for you. Yeah. So it must have been that what the bleep that was just like, they just presented it to you in a way that you understood at the right time when you yeah. were vulnerable and willing to take that information yeah. on. Similar to like a Gary V, for example, or a Tom Billy or something. A lot has clicked for me over the years from those guys and listening to what they've said about things that people always talk about, but it's just their delivery. Yeah, how it's presented. And and I must have related to them in one way or another. And in that point of time in my life, I was ready to hear that information and it clicked. 
Isn't that interesting? It is. I think that's exactly what happened for me. It was this certain scene in this documentary where they're at, I think they're at a wedding or something and it's a bit cheesy, the acting and everything, but it's, it's done well. So I was watching it and there's like an argument happening with some people and it just, it reminded me so much of what would happen every single day in that relationship. It was just always arguments and it would be, they even mentioned something about to, if you're, everything might be going okay and there's no arguments or anything happening, but your brain's still there hungry waiting for that hit of that yeah. chemical. So it will in some way f- find a way to create a situation that will cause a blow up so it will get the hit. Yeah. It's just like it needs that, you know, that dump of whatever that chemical is to keep the brain happy. Mm-hmm. But once I could recognise that that's what it was happening, I could just sort of, I guess it's like quitting cigarettes or something yeah. you know i just had to acknowledge the the addiction and that that's what it was waiting for and that craving and then Mate, put a stop to it i think i have like a mechanism where i just remove myself from situations like i'm like so petrified of ending up in things that will make me have a negative reaction i can almost feel uh i don't even want to approach what could possibly happen mm-hmm. hence i probably haven't had that many relationships where i'm just like that person, naturally, I could tell, would make me volatile. So I just try to avoid <laughs> all all people in that manner often. That, does that just come from like a, stro- a strong intuition or self-awareness or something that you know that you don't click with that person? Yeah, I, I think it's just your gut. Because even from like a kid, kids in the playground and just growing up, you probably over time realise there's a pattern of person you don't connect with Mm. like there's just certain things about someone and it's not that they're a bad person or anything like that it's just that personality trait doesn't work with you Mm -hmm. um i find people that are very like anxious they're they're not even doing anything wrong but them being anxious makes me anxious so i avoid being around those people Mm -hmm. i just like i like to be as comfortable in a space and if i see someone being super anxious and worrying and like reacting to things that don't need to be reacted to. I'm just like, oh, this energy is now like gravitating towards me. So I'll just move. Yeah. I actually had a a bit of like a, yeah, I I have the same thing. I completely relate to you. Um, And I had this, it sounds so bad. I can't believe I'm even saying it, but I had this like analogy where Hall and I would be talking about it. And it was almost like I was a barking dog when I saw someone that was experiencing a lot, a lot of anxiety, exactly how you were saying, it was just like, I'm a dog that just like, like barks at them. Like I'm, I, I don't want to be around them as well, yeah. but it's just like for you, Sammy, like I know that you've suffered with a lot of anxiety, um, you know, in your past as well. How is that something that you've been able to sort of take control of and, and sort of like work with as you sort of progress through life and career? So it kind of always comes back to that, just that moment watching that documentary watching that scene where it just it was like a penny dropping like I can almost visualize it it just was that pinpoint moment where I realized it's it's chemicals if I acknowledge it as that and and don't attach emotion to it 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 helped me um like separate myself a lot and be like okay this it's not who I am at the moment is just something I'm experiencing for this moment. Mm-hmm. 
So if even now, like all these years later, like Jesse knows this story. If I, if I'm at home and I'm feeling really anxious, or even if he might be, we'll just say to each other, "It's just chemicals. Mm-hmm. It's just chemicals. Write it out." And that's, that's your kind of safe word. It, like. it comforts both of us because we're like, "Oh, okay, yeah." Like it reminds us to detach from the emotion and just. Even if, you know, you are going to, you're not instantly going to feel better, but you can sit with it for that moment and just be like, cool, we just got to write it out. It's just chemicals. It's not, it doesn't define us. It's just this little thing that's happening in the moment and it'll be over in a minute. And I think that has really helped to rewrite those like neural pathways. So instead of like just bulldozing through that same path, And going deeper and just ingraining it more and more, it's sort of taking a step back and just sidestepping to another path that's mm-hmm. that's different and much more productive. Yeah. How did you approach, um, obviously, the issue with your partner? Did you just approach it head on? Or do you approach like an issue like that head on where you say... Now? Then and now? Now, then, absolutely not. Yep. It would have been, I don't even know, it would have just been a huge collision and... There was no communication, but now definitely it's yep. it's more of a yeah. Jesse and I sort of discuss things in in that sort of way a lot, where we break it down and try to take emotion out of it, and it it works a lot a lot yeah. better. Let's give some love to Jesse sure. because <laughs> we're talking about this Jesse character. But for everyone who knows Jesse, Jesse is our business partner in Combat Training Center, and um, just a good friend for a long time and. Yeah, we'll get him on the podcast one day as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing that you said, I I loved how you kind of um, had that safe word or that comfort word, how you just sort of said, it's just chemicals. I think that's really important. I think a lot of people could probably use that advice and and take that tool that you've just given and use it in their lives when they're feeling a bit of anxiety or experiencing some anxiety, just just saying, hey, it's just chemicals. The one other thing that you spoke about which I loved was talking about sort of having a little bit, bit of an out-of-body experience or maybe like detaching yourself from your own body and looking back into your body and saying or looking back at yourself and saying like, are these emotions and reactions and feelings warranted? Do I need to have them? And sort of like removing yourself from your emotions and thinking back as to why you're having them and and maybe sort of like re- rewiring your thought process. Something that... um. I used to say all the time, so my sort of comfort words were um, I'll never get anxious or stressed about anything I can't control, but I will, you know, do everything I can with everything that I can control. And I think that that was a lot of comfort for me because if something wrong happened and it was just completely out of my control, I wouldn't allow myself to feel emotional about it or anxious about it or anything like that because it's out of my control. So I'm in control of that. So that was always my sort of comfort sort of process I guess and I've used it since then so I don't feel like I get anxious but there is something that I've been thinking about recently I don't feel anxious outwardly but I wonder if your body feels anxious like your nerves and all those sorts of things and maybe it's a different reaction for different people because I I think it could be I guess it depends what the like it would be very situational the, the types and and that's the same thing for me like I get different types of anxiety as well like sometimes it'll I'll be anxious over something and I'll be very aware of what that thing is like you know something is not going the way I want to and it's and it's stressing me out so I'm really well aware of it and then other times it'll be only um, physical anxiety where I'll be sitting there and I'll be like fuck I feel really anxious really edgy and I can't pick why Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think the method is the same thing for either either type of anxiety is just chemicals. Mm. Same thing, just write it out. And like you said, whether you can have control of that situation that's causing you the anxiety is a big mm. a big factor because then you can just if there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You really, it, it really all just does come down to sort of like the way you think about things, hey, because it's like you could have this opportunity at work or there could be an issue at work. And one person will call it pressure and say, this is good. I'm getting, I'm, I'm using this as pressure and this is fuel now. One person will use it, say that it's stress, it's stressful. Um, one person will say, oh, this makes me anxious. But it's the same situation. It's just how they've perceived that situation or how they've consumed it or that what whatever their thought process is so it's the same situation it's probably giving you the exact same presenting the same problems and things like that but your mind is understanding it in different ways perspective is the perspective is is really important i think i actually had to catch myself doing that the other day going through all the paperwork and the forms and everything for the lease um which is just not not my thing i'm not built for that my mind's not built for it and I kept saying that to myself. I was like, this is so shit. Like, I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at it. And then I went to sit down and do it again. And I was like, okay, instead of saying I'm so bad at it, I'm going to say it's an opportunity for me to learn and be better at it. So I sat down with a lot more patience and read through, you know, that whole 10 page, um, you know, legal agreement or whatever it was. And got through it with a lot less stress than I had been trying to. Because I was trying to... It's almost like I'm trying to feed this and become this like self-fulfilling prophecy. Which yep. I think is a lot of people do the same thing. Like they'll they'll decide that they're not good at something or that they don't like something. Or they'll just make some sort of decision about themselves that they might not truly... Might not be really true. But because they've told it to themselves, they end up being that mm-hmm. thing that they've decided on. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they, they become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Are you generally generally aware of like your self-talk and are you conscious? Yeah, yeah. yeah I try to be. I definitely have moments where it, where it slips, mm-hmm. um, but I try to catch it and, yeah. and rein it back in as, as quick as I can, which is what happened in that moment a few days ago. I think it's the most important thing for someone's own self-confidence and esteem. What, like do, if, what do you tell yourself? And I... I don't usually have too many negative thoughts but if I do have one I usually put it down to me not being prepared for something as in I haven't done whatever I needed to do beforehand and I'm at this moment I'm having a negative thought and it's because I wasn't I didn't plan I didn't do something so I kind of put it down to that and say the next time I feel like this I'll make sure I've done the background work to ensure that I don't feel like this but generally speaking I think a lot of people just beat themselves up. Mm-hmm. For, they don't need to. It's just like a loop mechanism that they get themselves stuck into and sometimes it's not their fault. It's just maybe they haven't been told enough from a young age how strong or in some cases beautiful or smart or whatever it is they're struggling with. So it's just created this mechanism that they can't get out of. But I think it can be broken by anyone. Um, at any stage do you know what i think the trick is i think the trick is knowing that it's possible to break it right it's it's possible to to mold a different thought process or have a different reaction to things i think the moment that people think emotions or reactions or thought processes or whatever anything to do with the brain is set is set in stone 
they're fucked. The moment that they realize that everything is changeable and you know how we were talking about business and how we were saying everything is negotiable. Yeah, It's yeah. just like just because something's written on the paper doesn't mean you can't cross it out and write something different. Everything is negotiable and everything in your brain is, is, is changeable. And I think that that's also a really powerful thing too because someone right now listening to this going, fuck, yeah, I do do a lot of negative self-talk. But we're, we're saying and we're telling you and we're giving you permission to realise you can change that now and you just switch it and you start talking to yourself positively. Right. I um I did something funny the other day. It was funny to, to whoever I did it in front of and I can't remember who it was. It might have been you guys. But um I was really down for no reason, just because working hard or something or not getting enough training, not eating right, who knows. I was just feeling down one day. And um, whoever I was, I was with, I was forcing a smile on my face yeah. and I was like fully forcing a smile and it, it's real. I felt better. Yeah. Like I, and it's just subconscious. You just start to feel better and then I started laughing and chatting and then I just pulled myself out of my funk because you can, you can do that. You don't have to commit to your funk or your negative, like, you know, day or whatever it is, just force a smile. I think it was when you were telling us about you do that on the plane when you get nervous about <laughs> yeah, flying. Yeah, so you just sit there grinning to yourself. <laughs> I pretend I'm the pilot. And what people are in their cabin must think. <laughs> yeah. See, we have a lot of these chats, so it's like. I it makes think, sense. Um, yeah, it's really important to remember that that you can change how you react to things. I think the reason people don't do it more though is because it's it's fucking hard. Mm. Like it's difficult. You need to challenge yourself to to break those habits because it's you're naturally going to go towards that habit, that pathway, because it's what's easy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, the way I think about it, like I grew up in the country, so I, I go back to, you know, being in the in the scrub and there's, you know, kangaroos and whatnot and they'll take this same path through the trees and the more they take it, the more it gets beaten down yeah. and trees, you know, little scrubs and stuff don't grow there anymore. So, of course, they're going to take that way because it's the path of least resistance. Yeah. They're not going to take another little path that's not yet been beaten down. But if they stop taking that path, eventually the trees will grow back yeah. and and it won't be so beaten down. So then it's no longer the, the easiest path. I think it's the same thing with the brain. If you keep taking that same path, repeating that same habit, it just gets deeper and deeper. And the deeper it gets, even if it's a negative result, it's still the easiest path to take mm-hmm. because it's the one that's been, you know, so solidified. Mm-hmm. So to take a different path is going to re-challenge you. You have to put in more effort. So it's difficult, even if the result at the end of it after all that hard work is a way more positive one. Mm-hmm. It, it still takes more of a challenge, which I think I, as humans, we tend to avoid because mm-hmm. it, cool. it's hard. It's tough. It's a cool analogy. Yeah. I'm actually going to use that. I reckon that would <laughs> work. People relate to animals. Yeah. Well, it's visual as well. <laughs> yeah, like it, it makes sense. You can yeah. physically see it. That's a cool one. Just to change um, tax a bit, because I know um, the last podcast me and Mill did was almost around, um, all the injustice per se going on in the world right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. Everyone's fully aware of that type of stuff. But um, just obviously I see you at the gym a lot. And for those that don't know and just listening the first time, um, our gym's a combat gym. So it's a martial arts gym, which would be heavily dominated by males. Um, If we were to talk members, it's probably like 95 Maybe even more. 99. 99. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, let's call it, it probably is about 99. If we have 100 members, 
Sammy's the one. One, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> not true, yeah. but yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Let, let's just go, yeah. go with that number per se. And obviously I think, I don't know much about tattooing at all, but I'm assuming the industry would also be dominated by males. Yeah. Yeah, so you're probably a minority in most places that you've worked or go to train or just in your general social aspect. Have you, and on top of that, you also are covered in tattoos as well. Um, It's quite normal now, but for a period of time, it wasn't normal at, at all. And it was probably more associated with males having tats than females. Have you suffered any stereotypes Definitely. In, in these yeah, places? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, at the gym, um, not as much. Yeah, of course. Probably less. Well, so. I think yeah. um, I've been really fortunate to be the gyms that I have been in have been really respectful. Cool. I have never really had to deal with anyone. I think partly just because of the environment that I was in. Yeah. Also, though, because I – and it's, it's not a positive thing, but I think going in – I was already dating Jesse when I started training. Yep. So everyone, it was sort of like, I didn't go in as, as a new student. I went in as Jesse's girlfriend. Yep. So it's, you know, people were mindful of that and no one was going to be super nasty or creepy yeah. or anything like that while he was right there. Yep. Which, yeah, like I said, it's not a positive thing. I, I want people to respect me. For the, who you are. Yeah, yeah. Not, not because of who I'm dating or yep. whatever. But so, yeah, the gym side's been great. I've yep. never had to experience anything um, you know, negative there. With tattooing, though, for sure. Yeah. So I would say I'd actually be really interested to know numbers, the percentage of men to women in tattooing. Um, it's definitely evened out a lot more, I'd say, maybe in the last 10 years or so. With all the introduction of licensing and, um, you know, outlawing um, bikies and, and stuff like yep. that, it sort of gave way for a lot more artists to join the industry. Whereas before it was just the bikies would own the shops, they would be the ones doing their tattoos. It was the same sort of tats that were happening and stuff like that. Whereas now it's stopped um, a lot of the bikies owning um, the studios and things. And it's allowing, you know, people like me who want to have a private space for it, who just want to have a small shop that's safe and open um, to people. So... Yeah, it's definitely evened out and I think I got in at a good time where the licensing started the same year I actually yep. um, got my apprenticeship. So Ooh. it was all at the same time. So, but with the, um, you know, female sort of perception, I guess, I've had, <laughs> I've had someone come into the shop and I was sitting right at the front desk, so um, and and one of my workmates was next to me. So he literally had to walk past me to get to my workmate, who was yep. a male workmate. He when he walked in, um, my workmate was painting, so he was focused on something else. So I sort of looked up and greeted the guy. He looked at me, walked straight past me, and started asking questions to yep. my male coworker, and I was so angry (laughs) and my my workmate could tell so he he instantly was just like oh hey man I don't really know much about it he did he knew everything he's a professional tattooer he knew what was up but he knew that I was upset by it so he just took a step back and and put the light back onto me and was like you're gonna have to ask her so this guy he didn't he came in um not wanting a tattoo he came in being like oh hey I want to get into tattooing as a hobby like what do you think and, um, yeah, my workmate was just like, oh, I, I don't know much about it. Um, you'll have to ask her. I know it's been really hard. She's, like, 
works three jobs to, to get there. Like you'll have to get all the information from her. So I just told the guy how it was. And it's like yeah. you, you don't get into it as a, as a hobby. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you're going to commit yeah. years of your life to it and, and stuff like that. But the fact that he just walked straight past me when I was the one who greeted him and, and went to the first mail that he yeah. saw. And that's not the first time it's happened. I've definitely had that with other people as well. Like another guy had came in and it was asking about laser and I answered his question and he was like trying to tell me no, yeah. like I was not correct. And one of my other workmates, a different guy was up the back and he could sort of hear what was going on and he sort of yelled out to back me up and was like, no, nah, no, nah, that you know, what she's saying is right. Yeah. And then the guy just flicked and was like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, you reckon? Yeah. Like that? that's what I should do. But speaking to him when he was all the way down the back, just repeating exactly what I just said. Yeah. Um, a few other moments where people have, you know, come in, I've been at the front counter or whatever, and they'd be like, oh, I want to get a tattoo. Is there like a tattooer here I can talk to? Like, yeah, <laughs> hey, I'm here. Yeah. Just sort of assuming that um, the receptionist or whatever, which I guess is like kind of an easy mistake to make, but definitely uh, a bad habit that people mm -hmm. have yeah. and something that I've probably done before, which I'm really trying to make a conscious effort yeah. to not do. Yeah, um, it's definitely in everything. Yeah. It's not... Male, female, black, white. Um, people draw stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't doesn't matter what you do. I think I'm hopeful at the moment the light is just being shone on black people and I'm a black person so I get hit up a lot about it. But then I don't know whether it's transferring to people, thinking about other people. Ha has to, definitely. I, I would hope so. Definitely has to. Because I, I think about it yep. all the time and even though the light's being shone on me or people of my colour mm -hmm. and stuff like that, I think, man, I, I personally don't think I've had it bad at all. But then I think, man, females have had it super rough. And then I think about people with disability have had it like this. And I think about – there's just so many different, I guess, walks of life that have had their own issues. It's often not talked about. I think females have had, like, a period where um, – there'd been like a movement mm -hmm. and then people are just being like, oh, almost like they, they had their moment of their movement and they've got International Women's Day. What more do they want? Kind of like just like leave it at that. But it's still the same stuff still occurs today with a lot of things that I'm hoping gets better. I think but it's I think same as, same as all the issues going on right now. It's just like such a deep, you know, historical, deep woven issue that is – unwinding itself over time but it's going to take a long time you know women a long time ago were positioned as one thing and males were positioned as another and you know we've we've come a long way since that that time but i think similar to what we were talking about cell i love the people who just remove themselves from that whole issue so same with sammy it's just like she's not becoming a victim she's not you know you know positioning herself as a victim in any way she's gone out there she's earned her keep she's done her um apprenticeship she's spent her time being a tattoo artist and now she's opening her own shop and she's doing her own thing she's built her audience she's built her social media she's built her following no one's telling her she can't do shit yeah. the only person that would tell her she can't do anything is herself so i like i that's why i like i love having these chats with obviously people like you because you're not falling into that victim mentality or whether you're a whatever you are you know what i mean male female black white whatever color it, it doesn't matter we're all the same we all have the same uh, 
now I'm getting in down down a dark <laughs> place here. Hole. Yeah, where I'm like, we've all got the same opportunities. I know some people have it harder than, than others and we're not really going down that conversation. But, it, you know, that's what we're here talking about, the fact that you are, you know, going out there and creating your own life and not letting anyone sort of stop you from doing that. Yeah, I think it's um, – there's, there's definitely a lot of um, issue – with, you know, what you were saying, so with, like, marginalised people. Um, I've done a lot of, um, you know, reading and trying to learn as much as I can. Um, And I've definitely taken on a lot of feminist opinions and beliefs because at, you know, when I first started tattooing, I didn't really know anything about it. And, you know, feminists still had that, such a taboo um, attached to it. You know, people think... If to be a feminist means you are an angry man hater and that's not what it's about at all yeah. it's just about to you know wanting more for women is not trying to take away from men yeah. and other genders it's 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 the same you know with black lives matter versus all lives matter like yeah. it's not pie yeah giving more to one group of people does not take away from a group of yeah. others mm-hmm. and it's it's such an issue with so many things we had um I've been um, really proud to be part of a charity called Not Just a Girl, which is um, organised by a group of female tattooers. And we did um, two of those, which were flash days. So basically we had a bunch of um, female tattooers all get together in one studio. So we've done it two years in a row. First year was two locations. I think it was Sydney and um, Brisbane. And then we did another one, which was Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. So all these amazing um, female tattooers came together, dedicated so much time to organising the event, um, setting everything up and then spent the whole day tattooing. You know, it was like 12 hours um, a day of tattooing where the customers pay for the tattoos, but then everything we make gets donated. And um, like that's, you know, I was so proud. I was like, this is awesome. What a great thing we're doing. Like raising money for charity, doing what we love and and bringing light to, um, you know, respecting amazing female artists that we have. And still people turn around and went, well, how come we can't tattoo there because we're men? Mm. And it's yeah. like, it's it's not, <laughs> this <Yeah>. isn't your <laughs> moment. Like we're, we're trying to do this amazing thing and something we've worked really hard on and we're really proud of and still people wanted to take that away and yeah. be like, well, what about... It's like just because if you're raising money for lung cancer, it doesn't mean you don't give a fuck about brain cancer and brain cancer doesn't matter. It's still like it's just working towards one thing doesn't take away from another, which is it's a really stressful thing to sort of fight for because it just never ends. (laughs) There is that level of people that just want to complain about the sake of just wanting to have their moment to complain and, just be that annoying douche because, like you said, then there's the people that are like, oh, we're now all about all lives matter. And yes, like, is there any need for that? Like, the, it doesn't help anything. The same with, like, I guess the feminist movement. And there are, in every situation, a small, small percentage that ruin it mm-hmm. for the greater population. Like, the term feminist gets attached to an extremely loud, vocal, male bashing person because they're the loudest and like most things the loudest person is the one that gets seen and then 
people will draw the stereotype and attach it to them rather than just a strong female that's just wanting equal rights. It works super hard, does everything within her community to boost up her community, male or female. It just so happens that sometimes females may get the shorter end of the stick in, in certain situations. I'm not saying in all situations. And they're just trying to promote that. It's just, I just can only assume that will continue forever. That you'll always get a bad bunch of people, no matter what, just trying to sure. drag things down. As long as there's more people pushing things forward, I guess that's all, all we yeah. can really ask for. Now, obviously, tattooing is, is like you said, it's becoming super popular. Um, do you feel like there's just more and more artists sort of appearing and more and more shops popping up? Is it becoming a, uh, that popular that it's really hard to sort of stand out? Um, it's definitely a very saturated industry. So, um, especially the Gold Coast is, is a hugely tattooed population. Um, I don't know whether maybe like, I know Melbourne obviously is a lot as well. I know maybe it's just cause it's cold, you don't see yeah. it as much, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of shops around and I don't think, um, like it, it's got good and bads. There's a lot of good and bad in the industry. Um, I think with people, you know, even with myself, I was like, you know, I'm opening up my shop. Am I just another shop? Am I just adding to that list? But it's not, I'm not adding, uh, sorry, not taking away any work from anyone else Mm -hmm. because I've already got that client base. I think the issue comes where there's a lot of people opening shops when they're not, um, may not necessarily be tattooers Mm -hmm. um, and they're opening the shop. They bring in five new apprentices as money makers, yeah. I think that's where it becomes a problem, and the oversaturation um, is is definitely not good because yeah. then there's lots of work, but what's the quality of that work like? Yeah. And when there's a lot of shittier work being put out there, people's standards come down. There's a lot of price hunting and negotiating yeah. prices and stuff like that, and so it it yeah becomes a problem. Out of someone, because I'm. A person that doesn't have a tattoo Not will be long. getting one. Yeah, <laughs> really excited about that. What makes a good tattoo studio? Like, what what is like the fabrics or the DNA? Like, we've had Josh um, Kuhn who trains at the gym. Your friends with, yep. and we know that he's being voted like the best tattoo studio in the area. I actually don't know what would make that up. I go into his store and I see what they have there. I'm like, this is amazing. And I see the work that comes from there. But then I also see your work and go, that's equally amazing, maybe a different style, but equally amazing. Is it the artist? Is it like the structure, the cleanliness? It's kind of all of the above. So um, a good shop, and it also depends who you talk to. So for me, a good shop obviously has to look beautiful, needs to be filled with art. I wasn't really big on the, you know, all the, um, oh, you might not know, all the old flash racks. So you'd walk into a shop and there'd be just mm-hmm. a stand with, with racks and racks of designs and you'd okay. point point yep. and shoot pretty much. So you'd pick one off the wall and that would be it. Whereas now it's changed a little bit. Some shops still have that and it is, it is a classic thing, but some shops now you go in and it's just art everywhere. The, every inch of the wall is covered in it. Um, for me, that's what I prefer that's, you know, um, the shop that I've worked at for um, the last four years is like that and it's beautiful. If people, like it inspires me as an artist and then also customers that come in, they have plenty to look at. If they're not sure what they want when they come in, they can get ideas and it just, it, to me, it feels right. That's what a shop should look like. Yep. Um, cleanliness is huge. That's 
you yeah. know, number one, of course, um, when it comes to tattooing, it, it's opening skin. So there's risk of infection. Yeah. So definitely cleanliness is a yeah. top priority. Um, I think safety as well is, is a huge thing. Tattooing is very, it's quite an intimate and intimidating thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it leaves you very vulnerable to pain. Um, depending where you're getting tattooed, you can feel vulnerable. You know, if it's in an area that, you know, might be more private area. Um, so I think it's really important to make clients feel comfortable, um, accepted, and just make it the best experience you can for them because yep. they attach, like you'll have that tattoo, it's just, you know, a little picture, whatever, but that experience stays with them forever. Yeah. I've spoken to a few people who, you know, I've – they've come in and I've tattooed them and I've seen a tattoo on them. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Who did that? And even though the tattoo was amazing, they've gone, oh, yeah, just, you know, such and such. And they'll say the artist. And you can just tell that their experience wasn't a good one because of how they react when you mention it. And, you know, they've got to wear that forever. So I think it's really important to leave the customer with a good experience so they can walk away feeling good about it because it's a lot of time it's a lot of pain it's a lot of money it's a big thing and to to have a shit experience is just is really bad so i think that's important something that you um we were talking about before is how saturated the industry has become and i know how long you're booked out for all the time um how have you found that success in building your customer base and just constant referrals and, you know, stacking your books over time that's allowed you to open your own store with confidence knowing that, you know, not store, your own, you know, shop with confidence knowing that you have a client base that's going to come with you? So I think um, as far as my style goes, it's quite a, um, what would we say, niche style um there's not that like there's definitely people who do some you know similar um sort of stuff but on the gold coast i would say very specific to my style there's not a lot that are doing it so i've sort of carved a little spot for myself where people um know that's what i do my clients know that's what i do they recommend their friends it's a lot of word of mouth um and social media is huge for me to be able to do that it wasn't always like that say oh 15 years ago maybe a little bit more you'd have to you know before the rise of socials you would if you wanted to see a tattoo artist work you'd have to drive to the shop they worked at and flip through a a photo album Mm -hmm. you know it was a lot harder to to find portfolios and things online whereas now I have that which has been so great it's got negatives as well of course but to have my work so accessible to people at the click of a button on the other side of the world has has been a big deal and so there's that part of it but then there's also making when I do have my clients come in making them feel comfortable because then if even if I do an amazing tattoo if they have a shit time they're not going to recommend me to their friends Mm -hmm. they're not going to tell people you know they had a good time or it was worth getting or anything that's going to be tainted with a bad experience so they're never going to recommend it so again like back before there was you know not a shop on every corner people when they were tattooing maybe didn't have to be have as you know good customer service they could just be a bit more rude and rough and stuff like that and it wouldn't really matter whereas now if if you're not treated right you go five minutes down the road and someone else will treat you better Mm -hmm. you'll have a better customer experience so 
to me, that's really important, making sure that my clients feel comfortable, feel safe. Again, because there was quite a high percentage of male tattooers, I, and unfortunately there's been a lot of female clients who have had bad experiences mm-hmm. with that, you know, inappropriate experiences, and, and that is that really upsets me. So I, I like knowing that I can create comfortable space for clients to come in where they feel safe and yeah, no, they're going to get taken care of. Tell us about the experience that you've had um, setting up your new shop and what gave you the confidence to finally say, all right, now's the time. So it's been sort of on the edge of my mind for a long time. Um, Mill, you've probably been the one <laughs> trying to push it for the longest as well. Um, it just, I guess, because I've got such an amazing client base so the work is there Mm -hmm. you know it's not like I need to build a business from the ground up and then hope that the work's going to come like the work's there ready it doesn't matter where I am it's just you know they're coming for for the work that I do not for the the place so um it's been a hard time just because it's there's a lot to get organized there's a lot of parts you know I have all the the lease parts and then there's the licensing parts and, and things like that and we're, we're very nearly there mm-hmm. so haven't actually announced anything yet so by the time you guys post the pod uh, hopefully we'll be <laughs> ready <Very> and cool. <laughs> we'll have made that announcement which I'm really excited right. for um yeah so it's I, I guess a couple of weeks away from being ready and I can't wait to get back in and, and start tattooing again it's been this has been the longest I've ever gone without tattooing mm. So I'm definitely missing it. It's awesome, but it's it's cool because um, obviously it's the the COVID pandemic has just has just been happening, and it's forced you to because tattoo artists have had to close down, and it's forced you to find other ways to obviously make money and survive, mm-hmm. and you've used your art as a vehicle to do that, which I think has just been the most incredible thing, and it's something that. Um, sell for your info as well. Something that Sammy and I have been talking about a lot in terms of the businesses. You know, obviously her main. Uh, services is tattooing but look at the amazing art that's all over our walls and obviously the mural that's at the front of our office all of this has come from her ability and skills that she's developed over time now she has different income streams or revenue streams that she's just opened up and i think that's kind of opened your eyes a little bit more about what's possible for you yeah definitely outside of just obviously tattooing i think it was it was really interesting actually when doing the the mural here as well as a couple of my paintings um, that you've now got prints of, Mm -hmm. I felt, I think when you, because when you are in tattooing, you're in deep, like you kind of have to be, and it just is all consuming. So it was quite hard for me anyway to switch that thinking and being like, okay, I can work with a different medium. It was almost like I was like boxing myself into that's what I had to do. It had to be that medium. It had to be that style. My art had to have a very specific look because if that's the look that I was known for having, it's like I had to live up to that. And if I did anything else, I was going to disappoint people or something. It was like a weird, like a weird little boxing in of myself that I did. I don't know what reason, but (laughs) so doing the mural helped me change that sort of perspective and yeah. realize I can actually do whatever sort of art I want. It actually doesn't matter. I think it's also interesting because the tattoo industry um, also has quite a sort of hold over sort of what you do 
And what I mean by that is like, say, for example, we've got this wall behind us that Steen Jones did. And, you know, when Steen was here, you were here and you guys were talking and how he was speaking about how much he was shunned by the tattoo community about going out and doing murals like this. And then I could almost sense it with you where you're like, oh, should I, I don't know if I should be doing this. Is the tattoo community going to appreciate this or are they going to, is there going to be sort of like backlash because I'm, you know, branching out and trying to make money in other ways. It's almost just like, you know, you're worried about selling out or becoming more yeah, commercial or yeah. something like that, which I think is a like an interesting discussion in itself. How, how do you feel about that? And so, yeah, I think it comes back to that very protective nature around the industry, which I totally get. Like it's it's a sacred art. It's been going on for thousands of years there's evidence of it, you know, like it's not like a new thing that's popped up. So it's very protected. Um, I think it's also that the appeal of it is why we need to protect it. Um, but, and it's definitely going to like, you know, there's some old school people who don't like the new wave of artists coming in because it's, too, you know, they've got it too easy and they did it tough. So everyone else should have to do it tough and, and things like that, which I kind of get where they're coming from. But at the same time, like shit changes, yeah. like you need to keep up or get left behind. So I think for me, I just try to do my best to focus on my work, do the best that I can while still respecting, um, everyone else in the industry and people who have done it tough and have done it for the longest time and things like that, but also not letting that restrict me with what I need to do. Like respect what they've done and, and the path that they've taken because it was tough. Like my apprenticeship was easy compared to some, but then some have been easy compared to mine. Yeah. So it's it's all relative, I suppose, to people's experience. Um, so I, I really try not to get caught up in that or – I had it harder than you, so you're copping out. You've got it easy. Yep. I just try to think of it as my experience was what it was and, you know, I hope yours is better yeah. kind of thing. So one thing, one last thing I wanted to chat to you about was um, your experience in martial arts. You're a coach at Combat Training Centre. You've been doing jiu-jitsu for, I think we worked out like six years or something, which is a long time to do anything. So obviously super skilled athlete and as we said, probably 1% of our population at the gym is males. How have you felt sort of – tell us about your experience in martial arts to begin with and the fact that it is male-dominated and that you do have to train your skill with other males. How has that been? And Because I'd love to get, obviously, more women involved yeah. in yeah. the sport. Me too. Yeah. Um, I did – I sort of thought about that very briefly the other day. Someone, you know, we were training, doing the new timetable and whatnot, and as people leave, I'm kind of just like, see you, bro. Like, yeah. see you, bra. Like, yeah. <laughs> and – sometimes I catch myself doing it because I'm so used to it. Like to yeah. me, it's just like whatever, but I don't know how often other people are used to being addressed like that. Yeah. It's, I don't really notice that, you know, if I'm the only girl in the class yeah. or whatever, I don't really notice it to be honest. And yeah. I, I guess I just, I feel like I get treated the same as everyone else in yeah. the gym besides maybe people going a little bit lighter when they roll with me. Cause I'm literally half their size, yeah. but Besides that, it's not been, I don't know, there's not really been any moments that I can pinpoint that have made me feel like there's been any well, gender barrier. Back, do you remember back at the very start going into, uh, you know, a jiu-jitsu gym for the first time, how you felt? Um, yeah, it was pretty, 
it kind of just felt pretty chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think because Jesse was already training yeah. and I'd gone into the gym and like, you know, whether I was waiting for him to finish training or just sat and watched or whatever. So I had been exposed to it. So it wasn't like the first time I went into train was the first time I'd ever been in yeah. a gym. I'd already been there. I knew most of the people. So it was a very... Um, like it didn't feel like I jumped right in the deep end. Do you know what I mean? Like it sort of felt like I'd been adjusting to that yeah. water for quite a while. Um, I do remember though, at the exact moment I decided to start training, mm-hmm. um, Jesse had been trying to sort of push me towards it for a while and not heavily, like he wasn't right. like, come on, come on, you have to do it. He was just like, oh, what do you reckon? Like, would you give it a go? And I was, nah, not really. Like it's a full contact sport. That's yeah. not really my thing. Um, and then we went to Japan and we were at Abe's mm-hmm. gym training at ASCC or he was, sorry. And there was a girl there, Ella, and she was from the UK and she'd gone over to Abe's. She was training there cause she had a fight, I think that week. So at the end of that week, she had a fight and she was maybe 50 kilos and she was a purple belt. And I just remember seeing her put her gi on, walk on the mat and just fucking blitz people. And I remember thinking, how cool is that? She's this tiny human and she just destroyed everyone. And I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. This is amazing. And we came back and I did my first class. I think the day we got home, we got off the flight at six o'clock in the morning and we went to training at 6 p.m. And I loved it from there. And um, that's dope. Yeah. Do you think that other females should get into it? Yeah, absolutely. I guess like it's pretty full on. Like it's there's going to be some people where it's too much close personal space or whatever. But I also used to think that. I used to be like, nah, that's not for me. If you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be this deep into it, I would have laughed. There's no way I would have thought it. But it's, I think it's the problem solving Mm -hmm. element, um, particularly obviously with jujitsu the technical side of things and trying to figure your way out of a difficult spot is really satisfying and doing something that you couldn't do a few months ago is one of the best feelings so failing at something again and again and again and then getting it right there's not a lot of things that feel better than that couldn't agree more i definitely think that aspect of fulfillment is probably a thing that people don't realize is there and to be honest it's probably not as appealing to a female thinking i could be underneath 110 kilo male (laughs) that's just sweating all over me like it it happens on the range yeah (laughs) exactly like there's no point like sugarcoating that it doesn't appear maybe as appealing as what it actually is when you go there and enjoy it um so yeah it's cool to get that perspective because i definitely know there's a lot of females that would probably be, be thinking about it yep. and just being like, uh, nah, should I? Nah. And I then, think, yeah, yeah, it's really, um, it's quite an intimidating thing as well. Like we, you know, obviously we're all so heavily involved in the gym. So I'm so used to being mm. there. Like yep. I'm there every single day and just kind of yep. hang out a lot of the time as well. Yep. But for other people coming in, that shit's scary. Like, that's really nerve-wracking. I remember when um, I went to Melbourne and I went and trained there, like, I'd still, you know, I'm so heavily involved in the gym here and I'm so used to it, but going into another gym, I was terrified. Even though I already knew all about Mm. it, I already knew how it works and all that sort of stuff, and it kind of took me back to to thinking, 
wow, it's, it is actually really intimidating. And I think I don't give that a lot of thought because I was so comfortable when I first started. So I didn't have that breaking through that comfort zone because it was already pretty chill for me. So I take it for granted a little bit. I think that other people have to go through that sort of scary moment of starting a new thing and I've literally seen women just completely change their lives and become the most powerful women as a result of doing jiu-jitsu. It's been the most epic experience to see someone go from being in, and not talking about Sammy's situation at all, talking about other situations of women being in completely damaging relationships to feeling strong enough to leave and go and do other great things because of their family and support system that their jiu-jitsu school was or martial arts school was. So I highly encourage it to every, everyone and anyone, females in particular as well. Um, but, um, yeah, it's awesome, obviously, to have Sammy there and be a coach and stuff like that. So if there's any females out there on the Gold Coast considering coming to do it, come and come chat and to Sammy. Yeah. yeah, Sammy, we could talk for hours, but this needs to come to an end at some – every good <laughs> thing needs to come to an end at some stage. One thing, obviously, I know you've listened to some Hypecasts before. We'd love to end with a little bit of words of wisdom, a quote, a saying, just anything that you can leave our listeners with. Do you have anything? There's so many to choose from. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so one thing, and this applies to me in so many ways, I'm sure everyone could apply it to their life. Um, Something I read once which caught me at a really good time when I was, I was beating myself up a lot with, I think, mostly gym stuff. Like, I'd go in and I'd try to train, but I wasn't getting, you know, where I wanted to be. And I read this quote that said, you cannot be disappointed with the results you don't get from the work you don't put in. Mm-hmm. And that just, like, struck with me a lot because I, I wasn't training the way I should have to get the results I was expecting. So I was expecting to improve my jiu-jitsu so much or you know get results with a certain body composition but I wasn't putting in the work to get there so when I caught myself being disappointed for that I had to stop and think am I doing all of the things I need to to get that result and if I'm not I have no right to be disappointed Mm -hmm. and I think it can be the same principle with everything in life so for me with training with tattooing with you know, personal development, whatever it is, if you're not putting in the work it's going to take to get to that point, then you can't be sad when you don't reach that point. That's dope. I think we can resonate with that. Yeah, all of us can resonate with that. Well, we're super, super excited to um, to see you open your studio um, and we will post about it and make sure everyone um, in our network obviously knows about it. And, um, yeah, just wish you all the best. And Thanks so much. Have another chat sometime in the future. Yeah, for sure. See you at the gym. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) See ya.